Grace and mercy and peace be yours, truly yours, from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So as, as we've been talking about, uh, today at Connect, we're continuing our old school sermon series. And we're taking this month uh, to prepare for our move over to the, the St. Lawrence Worship and Event Center. And in doing that, we're, we're focusing on going back uh, to the basics of worship. What is worship all about? Why do we do what we do? Since our series is called Old School, I thought it would be appropriate to go back to school today with a little review from last week. So last week we heard the story um, of a woman from, from Luke chapter 7, this sinful woman, uh, maybe a prostitute, maybe an adulteress. We don't know exactly what. We just know she was seen as a sinner by everybody around her. And so she comes to Jesus and she washes his feet with her tears and, and wipes them with her hair. And she taught us about the heart of worship. She taught us that the heart of worship is what? Ooh, we're going we're gonna to need this. We're going to need this, this thing that we're going to put in the blank here in a second. Uh, so if you were here last week, if the heart of worship really sunk into your heart, I want to hear it. The heart of worship is repentance. So repentance is uh, coming before God, coming before Jesus for forgiveness, um, coming like that woman who, who silently confessed her sins. Maybe that's just what you guys were doing. That, you know, the woman last week didn't say a word the whole time. And so when I asked, you know, the heart of worship is, like in your heart, you were saying, thank you, Hayden. The heart of worship is, is repentance. Yeah, so um, when we come to Jesus here in this place, in this setting, uh, to seek forgiveness, um, we find it. And so we talked about the, the heart of worship being repentance. And then we talked about these kind of two elements, these two sides of worship, the sacrificial and the sacramental. And in fact, uh, somebody got in touch with me this past week. You might remember I asked, uh, what's the best example in the Bible um, of worship? And a couple turned to one another and one of them said, sacrifice. And one of them said, sacrament. And then at the end of the sermon, I said, sacrificial and sacramental. They were right on. Uh, that's what worship is, is all about. It's about... Uh, what we do to a point, uh, but mostly it's about the, the sacramental, what God does. And so um, we're going to be focusing on the sacramental side of worship today and next week. We're going to be focusing on what God does for us uh, when we gather here. And as Lutherans, uh, we like to talk in, in terms of word and sacrament uh, to describe this sacramental side of worship and how God comes uh, to meet us here today. So this week we're going to be looking at the word Next week, we'll be looking at the sacraments and what God does for us through those. Uh, so, as we start to talk about the Word, I have a, a question for you. Have you ever uh, found yourself watching, like, the History Channel or PBS or something like that, and just one of those kind of ancient war or, like, you know, wars from, from days gone by, kind of documentaries about those? I mean, think of, like, the, the Ken Burns Civil War series. I guess that's not ancient, but it's, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Well, these sorts of documentaries, they always uh, kind of have the same sort of thing. You know, they're trying to focus in on the everyday life of the soldier on the ground and, and what that was like for them. And then uh, the experience back home, right? And so they often will share uh, these letters 
that were written uh, by soldiers back to, to the people at the home front. So I wanted to try to give you a little experience here. What I should have done is just kind of taken a clip from, from one of those, but I didn't. So instead, uh, you get this. All right, you ready? So you know how they always have the narrator in these things? And then they have, when they read a letter, they have like this, this kind of odd voice that really stands out with an accent of some kind, yeah. So that you know, okay, this isn't the narrator. This is like the actual soldier from 200 years ago. Okay, so here's an example. My dearest Eleanor, is that good? Okay. In the skirmish at the Dead Creek on the 23rd of July, we lost 47 good brothers in arms. The men grow restless as this endless summer saps our strength, but not our resolve. The officers are stern, but fair. Water is in short supply and sleep is hard to come by, but the great cause in which we are engaged pushes us ever onward. And Mr. Lincoln says we should be home by winter. How I long for that day. Until then, I remain ever yours. And then the narrator comes back in and says, you know, like, Private Abner Roberts, or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I know Ken Burns is not going to be calling me anytime soon to, you know, record anything. Um, and Emily, I was kind of showing her that the other day. She's like, oh, where, where did you find that letter? It's like, I made it all up. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of know the type, right? So uh, let's just imagine that Private Abner Roberts is real. Now let's imagine that, that you were his dearest Eleanor. Imagine receiving a letter like that. Imagine the long wait between letters like that and, and how you would, would greet you know, the reception of a letter like that with, with excitement and thanksgiving, how you would just eat it up and, and hold on to it tightly and read every word over and over again and, until you knew each one by heart. Well, soldiers today uh, still write letters, but thankfully for most of them, uh, there are, are ways uh, through technology to connect with their families uh, kind of in, in real time while deployed. FaceTime, Skype, things like that. You know, allow soldiers to talk to their families, um, again, in, just in real time. Letters are, are great. They're fantastic. But there's something about seeing the one you love face-to-face, even if it's at a distance. There's something about hearing his tone of voice, you know, the, the passion, the, the feeling, where he can share things that apply to the here and now and speak into your life in a way that just wouldn't be possible with the written word alone. So today our focus is on the Word of God in worship. When you think of the Word of God, what comes to mind for you? I'm guessing that most of us would, would probably think of, of the Bible, think about you know, our personal devotions or maybe the, the times that we get together and, and read the scriptures as a family. Uh, that is a huge, huge part of, of what the Christian life is, isn't it? Being in the Word of God, uh, sharing it with one another, uh, being devoted to it yourself and, and meditating on it regularly. The Bible is like a letter written to us from God. His very words that, that we should, should just eat up. We should receive it with the great, greatest excitement and thanksgiving. We should hold on to it tightly. We should read every word over and over again and, until we know them all by heart. But today our focus is on God's word in worship, and that goes beyond simply the, the written word. Through his proclaimed word, here in worship, God does something different for us. God preaches to us uh, through his pastors. God allows his written word to be explained 
and applied to, to come alive in a new way. It allows us to, to hear God's tone of voice, so to speak, to, to hear the passion, the feeling. He can speak into our lives in new ways. God comes to us here in a special way in worship. In the book of Nehemiah, uh, Ezra is reading the law to God's people after they've come back from exile. And, and this is how Nehemiah describes that. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So in worship, we encounter God's word both written and proclaimed. Now we hear God's word as, as it is written by the, the prophets and the apostles of old and the scripture readings and the, the words that we share throughout the service. And we also hear God's word proclaimed to us in the here and now by the preacher. So whether written or proclaimed, what is God's purpose in giving his word to us in our worship? What is it about this setting in particular that, that God uses to speak to us? Well, God once spoke through the prophet Isaiah, uh, and he promised us there that his word always has a purpose. That he always has a plan for it. He also promised that, that his word always accomplishes, always achieves that purpose. So what is God's purpose for his word? Well, one thing that we can be sure of is that God's word tells us exactly what he wants us to do and exactly what he wants us to know. I think we have a little bit of an easier time um, understanding that first part than actually following through on it. God tells us what he wants us to do in his word. And that's certainly true. And, uh, you know, his word tells us this all over the place. Psalm 119, your word is a, a what? Lamp to my feet and a light from my path. Yeah, God's word shows us the way that we ought to live. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, uh, God is preparing him for this huge mission, this intimidating mission, going to a new place, leading uh, God's people into the promised land and, and all of the, the battles that he's going to face. Um, and God gives him some advice. God tells him what he has to do for this all to work out. He doesn't give him battle plans. He doesn't, you know, draw up strategy. He says, Joshua, meditate on my word day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. God's word shows us his good will for our lives. And then since we don't really follow that all that well all the time, it tells us to come to Jesus for forgiveness. God's word tells us to repent, believe in the gospel. God's word also tells us exactly what he wants us to know. He wants us to know that, that he created us, that, that this world and the entire universe are, are the works of his hand. God wants us to, to know his nature, that he's, that he's almighty, that he's just, and he's holy, and, and he's loving and forgiving, and, and so much more. God wants us to know our nature, that we are, are lost sinners apart from him. We are in desperate need of his help for salvation. And so God's word doesn't pull any punches. It, it cuts and, and convicts, kills. We heard from Hebrews just a, a few minutes ago that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. On Pentecost Sunday, as, as Peter was preaching to the crowds that, that were there, 
in Jerusalem. Uh, Luke tells us in, in his book that he wrote about that, the book of Acts, uh, that the people there were, were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. Um, God's word was being held up to them like a mirror, and, and it showed them for who they really were, and they shuddered at what they saw. It killed them. Perhaps to, to put it a little better, it, it diagnosed their terminal condition in such a way that they, they just couldn't deny it any longer. So, when's the last time that God's word cut or convicted or killed you? You ever let it? I think we're, we're really good about setting up a, a hedge around ourselves, kind of a, a protective shield that we just really don't want God to pierce or, or penetrate. I think sometimes we do this subconsciously. We don't like to be cut or convicted or killed, and so we, we kind of protect ourselves from it. Sometimes we, we read God's word, and, and we kind of conveniently gloss over the portions that, that describe us a little too well. Sometimes we just shy away from reading God's word because maybe we know deep down that we're not going to like everything that it has to say about us. We hear the preacher identify certain sins, and and quickly think of other people that exemplify those sins so that, that we don't have to try to apply them to ourselves. But as we also heard in Hebrews, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Yikes. Thank God that, that though his word may cut and convict and kill, it also heals, comforts, makes alive. At the very moment that the written word of God or the proclaimed word of God has, has cut us to the quick, has left us horrified at what we see in its reflection and utterly dead in our sin, God uses his word to restore us and to declare us innocent, to declare us righteous, forgiven, to bring us back to life. Psalm 119, that, that great longest chapter in the Bible that we've already heard from today, is just this beautiful poetic prayer about the word of God. It reminds us not only of the, the sharpness of that word, but also of its sweetness. It's a couple of verses from there. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The word of God may not pull any punches, and, and we need it to convict us and to show us our sin. But every bit as much, so much more, the word of God brings the healing and the comfort and the life that we so desperately need. Well, how does it do that? It does it by fulfilling its ultimate purpose. And its ultimate purpose, found in our gospel reading from, from John 20, um, is to show us Jesus. So, so John uh, chapter 21, most scholars would say that's kind of an epilogue to John's gospel. It's certainly part of the gospel, but it has a different kind of literary function. So in a lot of ways, these words that we heard from John chapter 20 are, are John's closing statement of his gospel. Um, he tells us in these words the, the entire point of everything he's done, uh, why he's written all of this. So once again, this is what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The reason the word of God, both written and proclaimed, plays such a, a huge role, prominent role in our worship, is for the same reason that John wrote his gospel, to give us Jesus. It's to point us to, to the one who suffered and died for us and rescued us from our sins. This is God's ultimate purpose for his word, that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed son of God who came to save us, have life in his name. And that life uh, is received by, by faith, which is a gift of God that God bestows on us through his word. Faith is given, faith is, is activated by the, the hearing of the word proclaimed to us. Paul says in Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So in our worship, God uses his word to give and sustain faith. God promises, whether we, we feel it or not, whether we recognize it or not, God promises that when we're here in this place, listening to what he has to say to us, that he is working faith within our hearts. And that's because the the word written or proclaimed all serves to point us to the word. God's word in the Bible and the mouth of the preacher points us to God's word in the flesh. Jesus Christ. The entirety of scripture. And we pray the entirety of anything we ever say to you from up here. All of it points to Jesus. God's word is written and proclaimed to direct us to Jesus so that we can receive the life that, that is found only in him through his death and his resurrection for us. The scriptures testify of him. All of them do. We come to worship to hear of him, to receive him. Earlier I talked about how soldiers used to, to write letters home and how nowadays technology has made it so that they can, can see and talk with their families online. And that, that was kind of our analogy, in case you didn't catch it, of God's written word and, and God's proclaimed word. You know, we have this, this letter written to us by God, but he also comes to us and speaks to us in, in the here and now. But nothing can compare when a soldier gets to come home. Last weekend, Ethan and I uh, got to attend the Michigan game against Army, which was really cool, a little scary for Michigan fans. Uh, but there was this cool moment at halftime where Sergeant Nathan Tuttle, who you can, can kind of see there anyway, uh, surprised his family and especially his girlfriend who thought he was still serving over in Romania and then proposed to her on the field in front of 111,000 people. Thankfully, she said yes. It would have been pretty awkward for all of us if that had been any different. Well, Jesus has won the war. He's coming home soon. He's coming back. He's coming here. The word we have in worship points us to Christ. It, it points us ahead to the day that he will return to his bride, the church, and hold us close. In the meantime, let's hold on tightly to the letter that He's written us in the scriptures and, and treasure it and, and eat it up and hold on to it. Let's listen carefully and eagerly to the word that God has to speak to us through our, our pastors, our vicar, and all those who share his word with us. Let's take to heart what he has to say to us this Sunday and, and every Sunday. 
As I read in a devotional last week, Jesus Christ, the the true book of life, wishes to imprint himself in the ground of our soul so that through his spirit we might become the written, living copy and letters of him. May that be true for each one of us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. And then next week, um, we've heard about, we've reflected on how God has has given us his written and proclaimed word, uh, but he also comes to us in other real, uh, physical, tangible ways to be present with us and to pour out his gifts. So come back again next week as we get to talk about the gifts of worship found in the sacraments. Until then, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.